The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Yura. <laughs> Okay, so um, I want to talk about uh, two aspects of the truth. First of all, refraining from false speech, which is the actual way that it's worded in the right speech teachings. And it's also one of the um, precepts, right? The precept to avoid speaking falsely. So it's very important. It's the first factor in the right speech teachings, and it's one of these precepts. There's a famous teaching of the Buddha to his son Rahula, where Rahula had evidently, you could guess, told some sort of lie. And the Buddha gave these vivid metaphors of, see this little tiny bit of water left in this? That's all the honor that's left in a monastic who would deliberately tell a lie. And then he throws it away. no shame in telling a deliberate lie there is no evil that he will not do that's that's a quote so it's I'm saying this to say I mean I've told deliberate lies in my life and there's evil I will not do so I'm just saying (laughs) I'm just saying that you know this is a very strong ethical precept of Buddhism is to look at our tendencies to use false speech but I don't say I did it without inner conflict you know so it wasn't a so i'm my life is not based on shameless manipulative lying but you know it's we need to look at that inner conflict that comes up when we find ourselves needing or tempted to communicate in an untruthful way so there's significance in this negative wording i think for one thing um it's not an obli- the obligation to tell the truth is very fraught with all kinds of stuff, which I'll, I will attempt to wade into a little bit later. But in this in this way, for one thing, silence is an option, right? You, you the, the strong injunction is not to deliberately mislead someone. So it's it gives us this option of doing less and taking the time to observe our inner intentions and our inner contradictions and work with them more. So it's a great window in that way on our inner intentions and views. So let's look at, um, there's kind of a range of motivations that would lead people to say something that isn't true, right? Maybe the most severe would be just outright for gain or deceit. You know, you just are simply, you want what you want and you're telling people whatever you think will have them give you what you want. And, you know, that's a level of consciousness that is, you know, It needs a lot of work on this path. This is the path that we're looking at. What is your relationship to the truth, right? So at least you can begin to be honest with yourself about what are your edge cases. You may have edge cases, you know, just areas like on your taxes or something where, well, everybody does that, you know, I'm going to do that too. And you can just start to notice where do you take this lightly? Where do you take it seriously? What are some of the conflicts that are business dealings or is there some aspect of your work where you're asked you know I in back in the, my engineering days I was always asked to give estimates for how long something would take that were you know just kind of generally known to be untrue uh, optimistic you know and it was a conflict and it was very painful so where in your life do you feel like you're really pushed on this 
And it can be a window into your whole worldview that maybe you inherited from your childhood. What's, what's the relationship? What's the view of, is the world a dangerous, untrustworthy place? Where is this coming from? So even if, you know, even if this is a really big issue for you that you haven't worked through very much, it doesn't mean that you can't work with it and start to look at it and learn where you're coming from and have a lot of compassion for yourself. So I would say the more common thing is where there's a really intense emotional inner confusion, shame, fear of social consequences, right, of telling the truth. You know, there are plenty of ways in our society where the society does not listen to the truth. It uh, they don't make it easy to tell the truth, right? And so it can be very difficult. In some cases, for a long time, people have had to lie about their sexual orientation or, you know, all kinds of things you can think of to get by in this world. So there's area, it's certainly not without a huge internal, you know, amount of conflict and conscience and agony over this. So that's a whole area to look at. And what we have here is we have this ability in our practice to really practice listening deeply to ourselves and looking at what conflicts are in play there, both as listening and as speaking, right? So we can think of these situations where people have lied to us or where we've felt it necessary to withhold the truth or to tell the truth and really look at, you know, use our practice to feel where that hits in us, what emotional issues are coming up, what views and beliefs are coming up, both as listeners and as speakers. So um, I want to say more about this later. But also a factor that needs to come in here is is wisdom and courage. Courage to say the truth when you need to say the truth and finding wise spiritual friends, finding safe environments to practice working through some of the emotional build-up around it so that it's easier for you to express it in more difficult situations. So there's a whole area that often gets into lying but is really more about an inability to tell the truth for some deep psychological or social reason. Then there's an area where you might call the heat of the argument, which has to do with, you know, it's easy to get drawn into exaggerations or drawn into taking a stronger stand than you really feel or making up statistics to support your point of view, you know, this, the kind of thing that's so prevalent in political arguments all over the world, right? That's, and this is, this is so related to the Buddhist teachings on our relationship to views and opinions, altogether you know there's very strong teachings throughout the suttas about refraining from getting caught up in views refraining from getting caught up in opinions this is views and opinions have very little to do with the buddhist notion of truth and i'll say a little bit about that later it's always a generalization and there's always many sides to the issue and so you know the more you get blindly engaged in that that's where speech often goes off the rails into things that are just not true or unfounded or exaggerated, right? (coughs) So in this way, speech, the kind of speech that you get caught up in is a real mirror on your relationship. How do you use views and opinions? Do you use them? You know, I I realize in myself that there's so much inner conflict. I don't know what to believe about this, that, and the other. And, you know, it's painful to go through life thinking you have to have opinions about things and you tend to just settle on something and then that's it you know and somebody disagrees with it it's threatening something really deep in you beyond just the words that they're saying 
So really looking at how you hold views and opinions and speech is a mirror on that. Um, there's a sutta teaching and a sutta called the C-A-N-K-I, which is pronounced chunky. <laughs> so the chunky sutta, where he's talking about um, actually three levels of truth, and I'll come back and say a little more later. But one, the person asks about a way to safeguard the truth. And I just want to talk about that a little bit first. So the Buddha says that there are five things that can turn out either way. Conviction, liking, tradition, reasoning by analogy, and agreement through pondering views. That's kind of how you come to hold a view or an opinion. Um, Some of these things are firmly held, and yet they're vain, empty, and false. And some things that are not firmly held in conviction, yet they are genuine, factual, and unmistaken. Right? So there's not necessarily a relationship between how tightly you hold a view and its truth. And so then this uh, person he's talking to asks the Buddha, is there a way of safeguarding the truth? And the Buddha says, if a person has a conviction, his statement, this is my conviction, safeguards the truth. Right? Can you imagine if somebody said, because I saw this on you know, this internet site, I have the opinion that... You know, and the other person, well, how interesting. I read this other internet site and that's how come I have this opinion. Wouldn't that be a civilized conversation? Instead of this is true, that's true. Right? So you can safeguarding the source and the nature of how you came. Why are you saying what you're saying? You know, because my family believes it? Because my teacher said so? You know, so you can preface what you're saying in this qualified way and that's said to safeguard the truth. Then he goes on to say, though... um, Okay, so if a person has a conviction, the statement, this is my conviction, safeguards the truth. But he doesn't yet come to the definite conclusion that only this is true, anything else is worthless. So he safeguards the truth, but it's not yet an awakening to the truth in the Buddhist sense. Okay, but this is a way to keep conversation, to work with views when you're talking. And then finally, there's the whole area of sort of social fibbing. You know, yes, I like that dress, I love that present, Uh, this is delicious, you know, all the things that we might find ourselves saying just to be nice. And so that's something that's a a very deep habit in my family. I don't think anyone ever disliked anything. My family was a very very make-nice group. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. But then, you know, you're really distancing yourself from the truth of how you feel about things. And you're a little bit treating other people like they can't handle a little difference, you know. You can relate to the generosity in a gift, you can appreciate all kinds of things about it without saying you actually like music you don't like. Then you get that kind of music every year for your birthday and the whole relationship is based on this false understanding of what you're like and what they're like, right? So it's another one of those areas that starts out to be a well-meaning little fib But it's an area that you can practice in. How can you convey the genuineness of your appreciation for someone else's enthusiasm for something without having to pretend like you have exactly the same opinion, right? So this is a range of motives that I came up with, and I'm sure you can come up with more of why people don't, why people might not always tell the truth, or might might tell a lie. Let's put it back in the negative. So turning to the positive aspect of it, which is much, much more challenging in some ways. The Buddha says, Monks, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. 
It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. What are these factors? First, it is spoken at the right time. That's a big one. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. So we've talked a lot about most of those, many of those uh, qualities already. Spoken in truth. I don't know, I don't want to make too much out of what's just an English translation here, but I like it spoken in truth. Sort of speaks to the state of mind of the person who's speaking. You know, it's spoken with a, a wish to be coming from a place of honesty and openness and clarity, right? And it's spoken at the right time. Boy, is that a big one, right? So, um, just a little bit more on this. Being There's a, this whole sense in a lot of the teachings that, of the value of being a sort of the character of honest, straightforward, open, and truthful, right? I just... These lines in the Metta Sutta, let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So the idea of speaking um, non-deceptively, speaking straightforwardly, you know, comes through as an, oh, as an expression of an overall attitude that we're cultivating through many of the factors in this path. There's another uh, teaching called the all these suttas, the Sutta Sutra. So a, another guy named Sutta, I think, where the Buddha is saying, even though this might be true, oh, what is it exactly? Let me find this exact quote here. I do not say that everything that has been seen should be spoken about or heard or anything else. When, when for one who speaks of what has been seen, unskillful mental qualities increase and skillful mental qualities decrease, then that sort of thing should not be spoken about. But when for one who speaks of what has been seen, unskillful mental qualities decrease and skillful mental qualities increase, then that sort of thing should be spoken about. You know, so we're not just talking for the sake of talking and just because something is true does not mean that it's appropriate. What does it like to engage in telling it to everybody? You know, you might have seen someone doing something, you know, making a mistake or doing some something that you think they shouldn't have done. What is the point of compulsively telling everyone you meet about this? It's true, but it's not conducive to skillful mental qualities, right, ongoing. So the Buddha is very realistic about what it means to tell the truth. Uh, it has a lot to do with becoming more comfortable with silence and finding the courage to do the work that it takes to speak when it's really necessary to speak the truth and even if it can't be heard, you know, even if it's very difficult to be heard, learning how to speak it. And when you're speaking, you're in a relationship and remembering that it's a two-way street of communication in a relationship. I read a paper that I really liked by... Um, a guy, I was studying a different course, a psychologist named Eugene Gendlin, and the name of the paper is Fitting In, Pouring Out, and Relating. And he's con- contrasting these three relationships that we often have when we think about telling the truth. We so often think about we have to repress something that's true for us, you know, maybe a whole aspect of our identity, or maybe just how we feel about something. So, because it can't be heard, 
You know, so there's that fitting in, which is very uncomfortable, very painful, very conducive to long-term suffering. But then, typically, these things may they they build up such an emotional charge that then the dam breaks, and then we just pour out all of our feelings about this whole thing, losing track of the fact that we're communicating with somebody. You know, and so that's the 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 dumping, the pouring out urge. Right. So, so one of his interesting points was to, con- to consider for a moment the different visceral experience between being on the giving and the receiving end of that kind of situation. It feels very good to just let it rip with everything you've always wanted to say to somebody. It's a real release of outgoing energy. Or to have a big cry, right? That can be very relieving. But being on the other side of that, it, you know, it's a different feeling, you know? And so... And it's so difficult to take these extremely difficult situations that we're in all over the place in society and families and private life these days and find how to actually hit that place where we're really relating and communicating, which is partly why there are so many factors in this path. You know, internal meditation to help us work with holding, work with our own reactivity and our own emotions, skillful practices of how to speak, how to listen to people, how to put things so that they can be heard a little bit at a time, maybe staying in tune with how the person is reacting to what you're saying. Um, so, you know, and one of the, I just wanted to point out to you, in the course of thinking about this, I went back to the book on nonviolent communication. How many of you have done that training or are familiar with that school? A lot of people have, yeah. It's, it's a very wise thing to look into. And so there... Um, they're talking about grounding your speech in what they call four things. Observations, direct observations of incidents of what happened, feelings that those are, that you have that that gave rise to in you, how that reflects your underlying needs that are common to most people, and then formulating a request, specific requests of what you would like the other person to do. So there's a huge difference between coming in saying, you know, you're a racist, sexist jerk and saying, you know, that's going to, you know, what that gets back. <laughs> and, and then there's coming in with, you know, specific observations, specific things people said that this made you feel frightened and unaccepted and, you know, unable to say and you have this human need to be the way you are and have your space and have your point of view heard and the request would be that maybe the two of you sit down and work with this technique of working or get some mediation you know so putting things very concretely instead of going immediately to the very general um, I'm sure those of you who have worked with this know a lot more about this than I do but just reviewing this this week it helped me resolve a situation where in my head I was very angry at someone and always imagining a a conversation not going well and I really worked with putting it in this format and realized, yeah, okay, you know, I have these needs and here's what I actually would like the person to do. It was very helpful. So we also have a responsibility to work on our listening skills. You know, if we want people to tell the truth, we have to be able to hear the truth, right? And so many of these difficulties are of the nature of long-term trends with little 
small incidents over time, right? You know how hard it is to try to communicate something like that. Each individual item sounds trivial, but there is definitely an underlying pattern that's become very painful over time. And so as listeners, we really have to study what's difficult in our attempts to tell the truth in times like that and then really realize that that's what's going on with other people when they try to tell the truth. They might come up with some example that right off the bat strikes us as trivial, but they have to start somewhere, you know, and they're in the heat of an emotional feeling about this and that's where they happen to start. And so having a heart of goodwill that, okay, you're connecting somehow to the the needs and the underlying feelings of that person, not so much what they're grasping at when they start using words. You know, but okay, there's some issue here that needs to be listened to and heard out. So how can you work with that? So we have this training in um, listening to ourselves. You know, you can, our whole mindfulness practice is so much about listening to our own experience, listening to our contradictions, listening to our fears. And the more we've really worked through that and worked through so that we're not so easily triggered by our own defenses when the first word somebody says is something that doesn't sit right, then we have some chance of being able to listen from our hearts, from a place of goodwill to what people are saying. So just a little bit about the deeper levels of truth. Of course, Buddhism is pointing to the slipperiness of words in general and the, you know, the how really ultimately words are just a practical tool for trying to communicate a little bit of something about what's going on. And it's always going to be different than what the actual flow of experience is. So um, the three levels in the Chunky Sutra, they're safeguarding the truth on the level of views by acknowledging that this is a view of some sort. Then there's this whole process of listening to the Dharma, studying the Dharma, examining the Dharma, working with the Dharma, and coming to an awakening to what the truth is. You know, the truth that our viewpoint is not the only viewpoint, that views are just views, right? That things change, that we don't have perfect control over everything, that there is a way not to suffer despite of all that, those facts about life. And then by over and over again applying and working with that and working through more and more levels of our stuff, we finally fully attain to the truth. The truth of the ability to not suffer with the way things are and not cause suffering in others. So I think that's enough. It's just... uh, it's a huge topic and uh, just scratch the surface so we can look at our tendencies to come out with something that we know is not the truth that would be a good starting place you know if you find yourself about to do that what what's going on there you know and then getting into the deeper waters of things you want to express what is it about that? Another thing that I wanted to mention that's in this, um, found in that article I like, and it's so true of our practice, is that if we're really trying to communicate, we often 
speak in ways that aren't aren't really quite accurate, you know. And so it's not heard. We can go back and look into, well, what did I mean to say? So if you can really get into a dialogue about what did you hear in what I said, well, wait, let me feel into what I meant to say. You learn a lot more about what you really meant, you know, and what, what are your underlying needs, what are your feelings, what, how are you being triggered by this. And so it becomes, you know, a, a, an exploration of your own what is the truth for you? And in that process, you really discover these internal resources of the strength and courage. Once you're really clear to yourself about where this feeling is coming from and what you want to say, maybe the courage will be there to, set, to, to find the right time and the right place and the right way to express what you need to express, say what you need to say. Or to listen, if what you need to work on is how to listen to what somebody's needs to tell you and maybe they aren't any more skilled than any of us are at doing that when it's difficult so how can you facilitate other people telling the truth okay where are we on our time here yeah we're all right um okay let's have a another breakout session so it might be good to get with a group of four that's maybe a little mixed up over who the, you know, different people than you sat with before, if you're willing to. We'll have a little breakout and then we'll have a little, hopefully a little chance for Q&A after that. Oh, you're doing this. I'm sorry. Okay, so... Um, See if you find find your group for people. Let's see what's Okay, so so now the question to explore is what have you learned about telling the truth? What have you learned about telling the truth? So each person will have Well, you know what? No, that's, that's a very good question. Um, what do you have learned from, from your life? And based on what you heard today, maybe you learned something new today too. So you can include it too. Obviously, just touching just something. I mean, yeah. just, just want you to share some wisdom with each other. I know you all have some wisdom. Not everything you know, but some key things you might have learned about the truth. Or yourself in relation to the truth. So each person will have three minutes. Okay, three minutes and I will ring the bell, okay, for each person. Okay, you can start. Just getting back again. So, um, okay. 
Okay. Yeah, let's come back together. Can regroup and hear a little bit. We have some time for reporting how that was and general Q&A. So would anyone like to share a little bit about what that was like or something that came up? How was it to talk about this challenging subject today? Um, our group have five of us and uh, each one of us really think that there's such rich area to practice on because not only is this bodily sensation when you tell the truth but also this courage to speak truth and the vulnerability it's so vulnerable. You don't know what the judgment is going to be following you. Then um, it's just, uh, it feels so good after you tell the truth. And it seems like this is going to be a continuous practice. I mean, we just a little bit of time, a little bit of time. And I shared with our group is that this is the thing I really dreaded this week because when the beginning of this program I said, oh wow, all this one I can handle except that speech. (laughs) 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 That was really a problem. (laughs) And because before I I just feel like I'm telling the white lie and it's for the benefit of the people. Then I realized it's no, it's just the truth. You just have to speak truth. You have to find a way. And uh, um, you just have to... Um, there are so many skills, uh, skills we can learn around this subject. They can't shortcut it. So, oh, this is, I just find an excuse, you know, then go with it. So it's, it's going to be such a wonderful practice, and thank you for this thank opportunity. You. Thank you. Sarah, behind you. Yeah, I also feel very grateful for um, being talking and listening in a group when the instruction was to be mindful of my body in both occasions. And um, then subsequently having this second group, um, I realized in the first group when the instruction was to be mindful aware in my body it was um, very very difficult to speak my my throat was catching a little bit um, 
and a little bit that same sensation also when I was listening. But then I forgot that instruction on the second group, and um, and it was much easier to speak. And I actually felt like I spoke, I think, more sincerely or truthfully when I wasn't um, trying to be so present mm-hmm. in my body. Um, so I really don't know what that means because I think I won't know the truth really unless I feel it in my body. So maybe the truth I was speaking in the second group was just the truth I think I have in my head. I I have no idea. So, but I thank you. Thank you. It's a long exploration. Very individual. Anybody else? Uh, we were talking about telling the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Just to be sure. Um, I don't think that uh, we have a universal uh, understanding of what truth is and that we aren't going to agree on it. Mm-hmm. And it it's, can be very, you know, everybody feels really good when they tell the truth, but that's that person, what they believe is the truth. And I'm not really sure how that uh, sits on the uh, other person that's uh, hearing what, what this person thinks is the truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that feeling will be equally shared. Because right. I think, um, I came out of the medical profession, where uh, people are brutally truthful. And it's, um, they can be very hurtful with that. And it's uh, not really good for morale and, and things like that. And I, I think I've uh, probably experienced a lot more uh, people being vicious with their truth rather than uh, trying to be helpful or skillful. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought. One thing I noticed, um, I think to some degree with both of my groups, I can't remember. Um, But I I guess what I'm thinking of is for my second group, I noticed, I felt like there was a lot of, a a sense of pain or from the misunderstandings or relating to the subject. Um, and I'm not sure what to attribute that to specifically, but I think the thing that came to mind was just that it accentuates how important the subject is to think about and to work with. discussed um, truthfulness and I think one thing that I heard from a member that really um, struck me was that usually if you're connected to your body your heart no matter what age you are this person happens to be a teacher even young kids if they, they they know how liberating being connected and knowing what's right my struggle often is that I would like to tell the truth, but I'm not always skillful in 
withholding or being skillful in how you communicate the truth. Yeah. Sorry, it is one uh, point that um, a person in our group that mentioned is really valuable. I just like to share. I forgot to say it earlier. This is um, when one thing is we tell the truth. Another thing is how do you to be open and foster this opportunity for other people to tell you the truth. Instead of very rigid and uh, close-minded, you have to give people that benefit of the doubt, you know, to allow them to trust you and can tell you the truth. Yeah, following on that a little bit, just I noticed that three minutes was a really a long time for for one person to speak, and and there was a lot of temptation to you know when that person was done speaking before the gong uh, to to for us you know others to comment or offer advice or you know whatever, um, and yet if we didn't, if we really gave them that silence. That sometimes they continued speaking, and so maybe that moment of like offering that person a little bit of silence is a way of uh, facilitating their continued thoughtfulness, and not assuming that the silence means you know they're done, they want to hear our opinions, but really they're done, they're still thinking, and we let them think. But it's hard. We're it's hard to sit in silence like that. So, yeah. A lot of wisdom in this group. Thank you. Why don't you make your announcement and then we'll sit for a minute. Yes. So, January 10th, we're going to have a potluck after after our meeting. So, um, feel welcome to bring something. It's going to be from 3.30 to 5. Is that? Mm-hmm. So January 10th. So another way to connect as a community. So what kind of snacks type potluck? You know, not, it's a late afternoon tea type event. So. Yeah, very simple. Right. <laughs> and we'll have a few things. So Yeah, anyway. exactly. Just a time to more time to chat and get to know each other. Yeah. Okay. How am I going to avoid idle chatter? Okay, we'll be we'll be on to right action by then. Don't worry. <laughs> we we just we just have to not kill each other next time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's going to be great. You know, you're going to be sharing, connecting another way. And, you know, your intention, always go back to, you know, your intention. your intention, really. Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's just sit for a minute. Let the energy settle here.
So having, having been in Sangha, in community, in the past few hours and exploring wise speech, being mindful of the breath, body, And continue being here in the present moment. Again in this body. Starting anew every 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 time. holding intentions of kindness and goodwill and commitment to explore, explore and learn. May the benefits of this practice today bear fruits for the benefits of all beings everywhere without exception. For if each one of us, for our community, for other communities, for the entire world, So one last clarification, that potluck on January 10th, you're welcome to bring something, we are bringing stuff. It's, if you don't, you, don't, you don't need to, you don't have to bring stuff. It's, it's kind of a potluck on, on this side. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
Thank you so much.